This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. With less than a week to go before the election, the polls show the Liberals and Conservatives in an almost dead heat when it comes to the popular vote. So today we are checking in with two pollsters who have very different methods of crunching the numbers. We've got Lauren Bozanoff, president of the Forum Research Group, and Aaron Kelly, CEO of Advanced Symbolics Incorporated. It's an Ottawa-based company that created the Poly Polster artificial intelligence technology used to predict election results. And actually, it uses social media data and people's online behaviors to make its predictions. And I have to say, it's got a pretty good track record. Of course, here are the numbers for you because we want to hear from you. You are the people who will actually be making those decisions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome to you both. Let's start with Aaron Kelly. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Libby. So uh, I'm. Uh, wh- what does Polly say if the election was he- held today? If the election were held today, we are seeing a 57% chance of a liberal minority government and a 40% chance of a conservative minority government. But important to mention, this this really means a five-seat difference because we're looking at seat counts. Uh, So while the conservatives are ahead in the popular vote, the liberals are ahead in the seat count, which is what matters at the end of the day. And... um, but that that keeps changing. We're seeing it flip back and forth in terms of the seat count. So it's definitely not ready to call it final yet. And was there ever a time when it was reversed and the Conservatives had a bigger seat count? Oh, yes, it was. It was reversed um, just a few days ago. So um, we're we're definitely seeing that it, it goes back and forth on, on the weekend or I think Friday, Saturday, it was the Conservatives that were ahead. So it, it is still in flux. Uh, Lauren, what's your take on this? Uh, you know what? Really, very similar. It is pretty much a dead heat in terms of the popular vote. And in the seat counts right now, the, the way that the popular vote is distributed, it does give the liberals a bit of a, an edge. And in fact, um, in, the, in the election two years ago, the liberals actually got fewer votes than the conservatives, but ended up with more seats. So it's kind of looking like that it's going to happen again. It could be that the Liberals are going to be slightly behind in, in the vote count, but slightly ahead in the seat count. Well, the, the, the way the word used to describe that is uh, that their vote is more, quote, efficient. Uh, th- one of the things that, that people are uh, punditing about is that they're saying that Aaron O'Toole had an edge, but his edge has been dropping. Lauren, are you finding that? You know what, it has been going back and forth, and he did have the edge, and he then started to lose it, but it's possible he's starting it to regain it in the last day or so. So the, these last few days are really going to become critical. And in fact, you know, with the summer campaign, I don't know how much attention people have been paying to things, and really hasn't kicked off, or, you know, in terms of people paying attention until after Labor Day and after the kids get settled into school and so forth. So we're really in the days that count now. Uh- Aaron, did you find that the debate actually made a difference? It, the, the debate made a difference, but not in the way that the candidates had hoped, I don't think. So the biggest difference that the English debate made was in angering Quebec, uh, ironically. So uh, what we found after the English debate, because of the way the questions were posed to the Bloc Québécois, made it uh, put the Quebecers on the defensive, feeling like English Canada doesn't understand us again. And so we saw support for the Bloc Québécois go up among people who were previously going to vote for a Federalist Party. And it really has impacted the Conservatives a little bit more than the Liberals, um, people who are going to take a chance, if you will, on Aaron O'Toole for the first time, retracted and, and brought their vote to the Bloc Québécois. Now, we're seeing that 
come back again. Uh, we're seeing some of those block supporters, you know, get over it and come back to a Federalist Party. But that was the biggest impact that we saw from the English debate. And Lauren, I mean, there was this whole business about Francois Legault, the premier of Quebec, coming out and saying that people should vote. The Conservatives were the safest bet. And then we saw Aaron O'Toole, who is planning to cancel the child care uh, agreements that the Liberals made, sending a separate letter to Quebec saying, yes, we will shower you with money for daycare. Yeah, so you know what? Everyone's trying to get their final strategic advantage in on, and each of these little things is helping or hurting uh, people. We, we in fact, saw um, after the French debate um, uh, a jump in support for the BQ, but it seems to be now going down a little bit. So, um, you know, it is the normal back and forth of the campaign that we're in right now. Aaron, do you have any sense, I mean, you know, the campaign, uh, certainly on the part of the two major leaders, seemed to turn more negative this week. Have you measured that at all? Yes, absolutely. And the, the big impact, we actually saw the biggest impact or biggest engagement on the election was September 14th when the protesters protested at the hospital and we saw over almost 1.5 million people engaged on that issue. Uh, so people were incensed. And after that, they were really looking for leadership on both sides. So there are people who are against vaccine passports, and they're moving their votes more to Maxime Bernier's party, taking votes away from the conservatives. And then people who there are people who want the leaders to take a stronger stand against these protesters and they tend to put their votes more toward the NDP Liberals because they see them as standing up. So Aaron O'Toole is losing some ground on this issue in particular because he's kind of, he's got, he's trying to please both, you know, by saying he believes in vaccines, but he's not going to require his own candidates to get vaccinated. And people are not reacting well to that. Lauren, you did a whole poll on what's happening with Maxime Bernier's People's Party of Canada. So what can you tell us about that? Because last election, he had something like one and a half percent, and he's up to the six and seven percent range. He's even up in some polls up to nine, nine percent. Wow. So, you know, it may sound misleading, but it's true. It is true to say that they are the fastest growing party in the country. They have doubled their support during this campaign. You know, they, they started out in the 3 and 4% range, and like I say, that they got up to 9%. That's falling back a little bit now, but, um, you know, doubling your support during during a short campaign like this is something. And um, so they are out there. The thing is, you know, with the winner-take-all system and so forth, they probably won't get any seats out of all this. And the interesting thing is, you know, the, the Aaron O'Toole, I think, was, was smart to go go for the center or center-right and, and hence, that's why he's, he's tied with, with Trudeau right now. But um, it did create a vacuum for the, uh, the PPC, and they sure went in and, 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 and took advantage of that. Well, it's interesting. In one of the analyses that I read, it said that last time, uh, a small number of defections from conservatives to the PPC cost them uh, a number of seats, and this time it could cost them much more. Do you agree with that, Lauren? Yeah. So, so you know what, what? What's impressive about the Tory performance is they're tied with the Liberals, and they have the PPC on the right to contend with. So, you know, when you look at the the right and center right. You know, the, the, the Tories are at about 30%, and then with, with the PPC, another, you know, 7, 8, 9%, you know, the, the, the Conservatives are really in the 35, 37% range that they'd be having a majority now if they didn't have the PPC to contend with. Really? Do you agree with that, Aaron? Uh, it's hard to... We're, we're not seeing that the PPC is having that strong an effect on them, but they've definitely, the Conservatives have really done a fantastic job in, um, Aaron O'Toole in particular, they've really become as strong in this campaign. I think what Justin Trudeau is going to find from having called this election is that he's going to have a weaker government, yeah. and he will have given a lot more profile or allowed Aaron O'Toole to get a lot more profile so that when the next election comes, assuming Aaron O'Toole is still the leader, they will have that 
behind them, they will have that increased profile to contend with. One of the interesting pieces of polling that I saw, because we're talking about the the, the influence of, of your position on vaccines and the anti-vax or pro-libertarian, whatever, going to PPC, was that people who think, or 25% or something of people who think that the restrictions are actually too loose, uh, would still vote for Aaron O'Toole. You know, I, I found that very interesting, Lauren. Yeah, so Aaron O'Toole has done a pretty good job of straddling both both camps in terms of, of the vaccine mandates and, and that stuff. And when you look at the profile of the PPC, um, you know, supporter, yeah, you know, they're anti-vax, they're anti-climate change, they're anti, you know, uh, gun control, abortion, a lot, lot of things. Um, they really are extremer versions of the Tories or the, or the Conservatives. But, you know, the Conservatives, you know, where the PPC may have 80% anti-vaxxers, you know, among the Conservatives, it's like 30 40% anti-vaxxers. So there's still a huge component of that type of thinking among the uh, uh, Conservative Party, but it's not its not like the 80% that you see in the PPC. I, what do you, 30 to 40% of Conservative supporters aren't anti-vaxxers. I can't. Is that what you're saying? Well, they either haven't, um, yeah, they, they, they don't support the mandates. That seems high to me. Aaron? Yeah, we're seeing it being smaller. Um, we we see it's actually, because we've, we've mapped people according to 20... Um, we'll put people on a spectrum from left to right, and we're seeing it's really the 5 to 10% who are, and really the 5% who are really stringently um, anti-vax. There's then another kind of category of people who um, they just don't believe in forcing people to get a vaccine. So as Lauren was saying, they they sympathize with Aaron O'Toole in that, in that sense. Um, but hardcore, it's about 5% what we're seeing. Okay, let's take a call from Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are no, you? Not bad. I am myself, I'm a conservative. I, have, uh, I support the party. I am not impressed with what's going on, and I blame the hassle that we've had and the fact that we had the liberal government the last time, and possibly this time, and I blame that on Maxine Bernier. He should have ran as a conservative and had his people support them. But people who vote for the People's Party are actually, in this particular case, wasting their vote because very few of them are going to get in, but you might end up with Trudeau because of it. I remember talking about these vaccines, like I'm 79 years old, and I remember the lineups in the streets of Quebec, where I was living at the time, to go and get the salt polio vaccine. There was no dispute and people, older people, like you know, adults, they weren't going to get polio. It didn't make any difference to them. But it was for the kids, for the future. I remember the lineup, and I think I was six or seven years old when it was. And I'm, you know, like I'm born 42. I remember the lineup. And people never worried about getting vaccinated for smallpox. Like, it's vaccinations are vaccinations. And they're really... People just want to be bullheaded and think, you know, like, not me, not me, not me. It's just like somebody telling me, well, you can't go to this church. You must go to that one. Well, then you've got... Well, well hey, I Bob, what... Maxine Bernier for all this problem, and if the conservatives don't win, it's on his head. Oh. Okay, Bob, thanks for that. Uh, on the other side of the coin, on the progressive side... Trudeau is telling NDP voters, if you vote NDP, you'll be helping the Conservatives. So there's this whole uh, aspect of strategic voting. Aaron Kelly, have you measured that in any way? Yeah, we're definitely looking on, and you can see on our site where we show that how in each province, how many of these seats are, you know, in contention. Um, there are definitely many seats especially in Ontario, where the Liberals and the NDP are in contention, but there's actually more where the Liberals and the Conservatives are in contention. Um, but we have a lot of swing ridings. They're starting to decrease. Oh, and also in Quebec, a lot of uh, we see a lot of seats in contention, Liberal and Bloc Québécois. Um, so there's a lot of swing ridings. That's why it keeps going back and forth. 
Mm-hmm. Lauren, what about this uh, call to strategic voting? What kind of an impact do you think that'll have? Well, you know what the problem with it is you have to understand the dynamics in your own riding to actually take part in that, right? So you can't really say, like, let, let's just say you, you, you want to oppose the Conservatives and you're wondering, should you vote to Liberal or uh, NDP in, in your riding? So you, you, you have to have pretty good information as to which party is likely to be ahead in that riding and then decide to vote, you know, based, based on that in order to stop the Conservatives. Uh-huh. And do you, do you think most people have that information or have it straight? Well, they're going to get helped, I think, towards right near the end of the campaign because I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Liberals now are, are going to spend the rest of the campaign saying, hey, you NDPers, you're wasting your vote. So they're definitely going to make that known to people and in these swing ridings um, where everyone stands. And do you think that uh, that there will be the same thing on the other side? Do you think Conservatives will be telling PPC not to do that, or does that align them too closely with them? I, I think at this point they, they don't want to get too close to the, to the PPC um, just because of the extremeness of some of their views. And I think the reality is, even if you say that to PPC voters, they're not they're, they're not the type that's going to listen to what Aaron O'Toole has to say about how they should vote. They're they're pretty. If they're going to vote PPC, they're voting PPC. That's what we're finding. Let's take a call from Melanie in High Park. Hello, Melanie. Hi. Nice to hear you on the radio again. Thank you. Go ahead. And um, for me, I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, just sort of like uh, to when you go to a buffet, but you don't want too much of one. So for me, the reason I'm going to vote for Aaron O'Toole is that he's a very intelligent man. He seems to be in control, and we've had uh, flip-flopping from all the parties. He's never been in power, so I'd like to see what he has to say. And he also did not insult other people because, you know, of calling them this, calling them, oh, they're this, they're that. I really, at my age, I, I don't like that. I don't like to knock anybody's uh, thoughts and insult them and create havoc in, in society and anger and, and frustration. They're not peacemakers. And I think that Mr. O'Toole, like I said once, is trustworthy to keep his finger on the red button. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, but he did make a very personal attack, several of them, on Mr. Trudeau. So, Lauren, will that be turning people, other people like Melanie, off? It, it obviously didn't turn her off. You know what? If it goes too far, it will. But if it doesn't, it won't, it won't be turning people off. I mean, you know, you do have to uh, respond to things that during the campaign. And uh, sometimes it's a worse mistake not to respond. I, I don't think he, he's, he's gone overboard in any, any of his criticisms. Aaron Kelly, when you're looking at social media posts, are there a lot of posts that kind of uh, talk about Trudeau as a privileged white guy and Aaron O'Toole uh, as a suburban dad, more like everyone else? No, people talk about what matters to them. Uh, I think they just assume all politicians are well-to-do and, and uh, really, we see that the issues are the economy, cost of living, um, pa- vaccine passports, things that matter to people personally. That's what people are concerned about. And have you settled on what you think the ballot question will be? That's something that most of us still don't have a fix on. Yeah, there, I think there's going to be a few. It's definitely all around cost of living, the economy. Um, that's why daycare is so popular, because... It, it goes to cost of living. The climate is also, so it really depends on who, where you lean. So we, we see with some people, it's cost of living, daycare, climate change. And with others, it's, um, it's the economy generally, but that tends to favor a conservative, um, vaccine passports, and then policies around reopening and how that's going to happen and when. So those are really the key issues. Lauren, what do you think the ballot questions are going to be? So this has been the big problem of this campaign. You know, it was call it was caused for no no particular reason. It was just called out of the out of the, out of the out of the blue, um, and it's taken a long time to develop the the ballot question. You know, all all of those I think are considerations. I think people are really though in, in a quandary 
about what this election was about. And, and you know, even one ballot question is, is why are we having a, 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 this election? There's been a sense that that was never explained during the campaign, and I think it's still, it's still out there. So I, I think this time around we're, we're not going to see one single ballot issue for everybody. People are going to decide on these sort of micro-issues, you know, which, which one is most important to them. It is true the economic thing is, is starting to resonate with people, and we've got the inflation numbers coming out and the high cost of things uh, is starting to bother people. Um, and, you know, of course, the vaccines are out there. And the other thing to think about is, you know, looking at the vaccines and the reopening, you know, did the parties, were, were they ever able to explain what their plan was? Even now, like, do you know what the plan is of any of these parties to deal with COVID going forward? So I, I think people are, are going to be in a real quandary uh, on election day. And uh, do you think people will punish uh, Trudeau for calling the election? Well, so far they haven't rewarded him because, um, you know, that the, the minute the election was called, the this, this so-called lead that the Liberals had during the summer, these, you know, these five to, to 15 point leads supposedly that they had, they disappeared overnight. Like the day the election called, all that disappeared. So um, he's not getting rewarded the way things are going. And the question now will be, is he going to get punished for, for what's been going on? Let's hear from Rose in Mississauga. Hi, Rose. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Great, thank you. Uh, so I cast my vote for the Liberals. Okay. Yeah, so by email vote, um, uh, myself and my husband and my daughter also email voting so that we can um, avoid any, uh, any lineups uh, during COVID time. So the uh, my 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 point is that um, uh, is that the conservatives, uh, if they go into power, they will cut healthcare and school cuts. Daycare and climate change, they are not going to do anything on it, even though they are saying that they are going to do, plus the gun control. So those are things that they really bother me because I used to be a conservative before. Um, in uh, with Trudeau. Uh, he has done an excellent job under the rest of COVID. The things that he has not accomplished, you can imagine how overwhelmed they were in order for them to get the, the, the vaccines, to get people, uh, to get people uh, vaccinated and, um, they secure the vaccines and, uh, they, they gave serve, uh, to, um, to people who need it. And uh, uh, the, it has been uh, a very tough time for, for Trudeau. Okay, Rose, thank you for that. Well, that's interesting. You know, the first thing or one of the first things Rose said was that the conservatives are going to cut health care. And, and one of the key uh, p- a part of their plank, they are going to spend more than Trudeau on health care. Initially, it's going to be 56 uh, sorry, $3.6 billion more in the first five years and much more if you reelect them again and again. But um, that's been pretty clear. But I guess, uh, Lauren, people have sort of ideas in their head about what certain parties do. You know, I think they do. And that would be a killer for the Tories to get associated with health care cuts. And, you know, it's possible there's some overlap from provincial policies where, you know, you might have a conservative uh, provincial government um, that's cutting back on things, and um, it makes people jittery. You know, healthcare is always out there as an issue. It just—it's always just below the surface, and you—you you don't want to tangle with that in Canada and, and be perceived to be uh, doing anything with healthcare cuts. People really have have their antenna look uh, um, looking for that. So I think the Tories have been good to try and get ahead of the curve on that one and not be associated with the general perception that that people might have of the conservatives in terms of them seeking cutbacks all the time. Aaron Kelly, it seems like healthcare is kind of like motherhood and apple pie. Do, do people really vote on a healthcare platform or is it just their perception? What do you see in the tweets? Well, first of all, um, what I'll say is that Aaron O'Toole has had a hard time communicating his policies to Canadians. We're definitely seeing that people find it complicated, like with the daycare being a tax credit rather than just $10 a day daycare, which is much easier messaging. So I think that's been part of his problem. Um, when it comes to healthcare, absolutely. Canadians, you know, health care is very close to their heart. And even though it's really a provincial issue, it always comes up that we see 
uh, in the conversations in federal uh, in, in federal elections, and and the leaders do talk about it. And I think what's been on uh, what's been favoring Trudeau is that he's spent the last eighteen months giving out money for a health issue, right? The pandemic. So he's definitely going to be seen as somebody investing in it, even though that's different. It's infrastructure versus dealing with a pandemic. But he's also made announcements about bringing um, vaccines, uh, vaccine producers to Canada. And he's been basically had a podium to it to talk about investments in healthcare for the last 18 months. And I think that Aaron O'Toole, again, he needs to simplify his message. Don't talk so much about um, tax cuts or tax um Credits. Tax write-offs, yeah, credits and all these things. It's too complicated for an election. You have to just say, I'm going to invest and this is what I'm going to do. Okay, Daryl in Toronto. Hello, Daryl. Hi, how are you doing? Today? Fine, how are you? I'm okay. I just wanted to kind of point out sort of lightheartedly that uh, one of your people had mentioned, guests had mentioned that uh, there was really no reason for this election. It seems to me the reason for this election is because we have pollsters. And if we didn't have the pollsters and the parties didn't have them, then we probably wouldn't be having this particular election at this time. Mm, I don't know. I think the reason we're having this election is that Trudeau thought he could get a majority. And how but, did he think that? What? Cool. How did he think the, that? Oh, that's ah, okay. That right you are. Daryl, thanks for that. Um, so, again, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting how quickly that perceived majority kind of evaporated. But, uh, Aaron, do you think that people will punish Trudeau for calling this election? I think it's pretty clear that they're going to or, and that they are because he's, he did start out with very high favorability. We saw him potentially winning a majority government when it started. And even the day that he announced it, if he had just said, we're having an election for this reason, people were willing to believe that we needed to have an election, but he needed to say something, not just, I think it's pretty obvious why we're having an election. That was the problem is he didn't set it up in that speech and we saw him go down from there. Um, so we, that's definitely, a, a, it, it's definitely having an impact. There's no question. Okay. We are almost out of time. Lauren Bozanoff, what would you like to leave us with? Um, you know what? There's a few days to go. It's really, if this, this race is so, so close. And in our system, just 1% of the vote change can, can, can change the government. And Aaron Kelly. Get out and vote, because one of the things we've seen is engagement is a lot is really flat in this election, which makes us think that maybe voter turnout will be low. And this is the last thing you want to do is not vote when it's so close. So just get out the vote. Okay, that sounds like very good advice. Thank you so much, Aaron Kelly and Lauren Bozanoff. Thank you. Thanks, Libby. And people, if we couldn't get to your call, remember Free For All Friday is coming up soon. And I can't imagine that we'll be talking about much else than the election, but who knows. Right now, we are going to take a break and we're going to switch to something provincial. Yesterday, Queen's Park announced uh, some of the rules around the new vaccine passports, which take effect a week today. So we will get the scoop on that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Yesterday, the province released details about how the new vaccine passport system will be implemented. As of a week today, September 22nd, you'll have to show your provincial proof of vaccination to get into a restaurant, a gym, or a concert or theatrical production. Queen's Park says it will have a more reliable barcode system ready by October 22nd. Now, it will be up to these businesses to check your documents. Some say it's an extra burden at a time when many are already short-staffed, but this is something that the business community has been pushing for as the best means to avoid another lockdown. So what do you think? The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. 
And now I am joined by Lindsay Broadhand, the Senior Vice President of Communications and Public Affairs at the Toronto Region Board of Trade, Derek Vello, the co-owner of Pucka Restaurant, and John Karastamatis, the Director of Sales and Marketing at Mervish Productions. Hi, all, and thanks so much for joining us. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, Libby. Okay. Well, let us begin with Lindsay from the Toronto Region Board of Trade. This is something you were pushing for. Are are you happy? (laughs) Hi, Libby. Uh, Thanks for having me on again. Um, Are we happy? This is a a very good first step. Um, And and that is, um, frankly, how we're looking at this. We needed some steps to be taken, um, and and any step we will embrace. Um, the, the better step, of course, is going to be what happens in October so that there's some sort of digital validation to it. Uh, it takes some of the weight and pressure off uh, owners, uh, especially if uh, you're running a business that involves uh, more people going through the door. So I imagine John will have something to say about you know, the volume and, and uh, capacity limits. Um, and certainly when we look to you know, even larger uh, events uh, down at, uh, you know, if you're going to a Jays game or uh, eventually basketball. Um, but what we're still uh, waiting for, um, and, uh, you know, we think that there should be some readiness in in the planning uh, is the best solution. Uh, and, and that's one that is interoperable, that is used uniformly across businesses, not just some, uh, and, and where there are consistent standards. John, so I'm I'm trying to imagine there's a, a play going on, a performance going on. There are quite a lot of people who normally show their tickets. Um, uh, how comfortable are you with checking their vaccine status? You know, if it will help keep the keep everyone safe, we're very comfortable, and we know it will help keep everybody safe. Uh, luckily. Uh, we already have, you already need something to get into a theater, and that is a ticket that has to be checked by an usher or a ticket taker. So we're just adding just a second thing, well, really a third thing, because you need ID and you need your vaccination proof, which at this point can be uh, uh, your receipt from the Ministry of Health from your second dose. You can get that digitally or you can get a paper copy just by going to the ministry's website. Uh, and it's it's fairly simple. It's happening right now at the Princess of Wales Theatre where there are uh, Toronto International Film Festival screenings. Um, and it's a two-step process. Uh, uh, there's a group of people that check the vaccine certificates and the ID, and then there's someone who checks your ticket and, and uh, tells you where your seat is. Um, so it's it's doable, and uh, it's a it's a very very important step in creating a safe and comfortable environment for everybody after eighteen months of not knowing what's going on. And did you need extra people for that extra step? We will. We will need extra people, but we're we're happy to to, to provide them uh, if it will allow us to create a safer environment. Uh, for uh, uh, audiences, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we're, we've all had a very tough time and uh, it's time that we, you know, we got back to, to, to being able to live life uh, uh, with, with many things that, that uh, we are used to and, and live life socially, not just live it. Uh, uh, isolated. Derek, uh, what about you? You have a neighborhood restaurant, Paka. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to echo you know, what what Lindsay had said, and uh, obviously, this is a great first step. It would be wonderful if we have the uh, you know the digital uh, scanning available because there's going to be, I think, a lot of fumbling around for the first uh, few weeks where we get comfortable with looking at pieces of paper, looking at pieces of uh, uh, licensed driver IDs and uh, telephones. Um, 
you know, and matching that all up, which is obviously going to be a little more difficult in a restaurant situation. Maybe some of the larger operators where they have hostess and host stations and staff that, um, to, to double check these things, it'll be easier. But for a small restaurant like ourselves, you know, that burden is going to fall on, uh, obviously management, someone like myself, an owner and our service staff. So, you know, the, we're all anxious to see how it goes. We're, we're worried about there's, there's word of worry of, you know, confrontation. Um, but I think the fact is, you know, 80% of the, the country is at least got one vaccination, if not close to, to two now. So I, I think it's going to be a uh, minimal when it comes to uh, pushback on this. Well, uh, speaking of the pushback, I think many of us were very surprised yesterday when the health minister said that if any business person feels threatened by an aggressive client who is arguing about this, they should call 911. And then suddenly people were worried, is this going to put an extra burden on our emergency services? And and uh, what is that going to do? Is it going to change response times? Lindsay Broadhead. Um, well, well, look, I mean, I, I certainly hope that uh, a lot of the attention uh, that people who are, um, you know, more adamant or aggressively uh, against vaccination, I, I hope that that uh, is, can be easily superseded by just, you know, business as usual. Um, I, I think there's been a lot of attention. Um, we're in a, a very strange political cycle right now. Um, so uh, attention is being placed on a lot of, of different places. And I'm also making the assumption, which one shouldn't do perhaps, but I'm also making the assumption that those are in uh, scenarios that would require a 911 call. Um, you know, there's there have been protests that uh, we've, we've read a lot about uh, outside of different restaurants and different service agencies. Very few of those um, escalated to the point of needing uh, a 911 support. Um, so uh, when, when restaurants are back and when businesses are back in some degree of flow, um, those are going to be uh, outlier situations. Um, but, you know, this, this is part of the, the, the discourse of the community right now, and there are stresses, and those, those can't be understated. Uh, there are strains um, of very different and diverging opinion, um, and those need to be talked about. Uh, it, they, they certainly shouldn't escalate to violence. Well, Derek Vallow, I mean, we had certainly as one example here, uh, Jen Ag, who is a very well-known restaurateur, she, she had people demonstrating, and I, I don't know that it was viol- vi- that there was violence per se, but they were preventing her from making a living, and she called out the cops saying they didn't do anything, and now Christine Elliott says, call the cops. I mean, what do you make of it? Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. There's, there's going to be disruptive, you know, behavior um, by the fringe, as Lindsay sort of, you know, noted. Uh, I certainly this is not the majority, um, and you know, uh, I'm not. I don't know the circumstances around Jen and saying that the police didn't respond to her, her request. Um, I certainly hope that's not the case when this rolls out next week. Uh, I think if someone needs help, uh, an operator needs help, that the police will respond in, you know, as they should. Um, again, I think we're all holding our breath and make sure it doesn't get this far. But there are going to be incidences. You know, there are people out there that just want to stir the pot, create a scene, and see what happens. So, you know, uh, we'll see, right? Um, there's There's going to be some things. You know, I'm fortunate. I live in a pretty... Uh, you know, tight-knitted community. Uh, we're, we're a community uh, restaurant, a neighborhood restaurant with lots of families. Um, the likelihood of that happening in, to, to us is, is, you know, next to none. However, I think if you get into bigger venues, you know, downtown, I think that's where, you know, security and the police or private security uh, is going to be props needed. Yeah, I mean, uh, full disclosure, it's, it's my neighborhood. I, I'm a, a customer and it's, it's very, mm-hmm. I'm sure that a lot of the people are kind of, uh, regular, regular people because it, it's a pretty close knit community. John Karastamatis, have, have you given any thought to, to that? I mean, I would think, you know, you're right in the heart of the entertainment district. 
when we announced that we were going to uh, only allow fully vaccinated people into our theaters, and this was before it was mandated by the government, we did get some angry emails and angry calls. Um, our sense was that none of them were our customers. Uh, these were these were activists that were pushing a certain agenda, and because we had made our statement, they thought they would threaten us. And you know, they said they would never come to our theaters again. That they would they would tell everybody not to come to uh, to our theaters, and. Uh, that's fine. I mean, everybody has the right to say what they want. Uh, but, uh, you know, as has been said, over 80 uh, percent of people in Ontario have been have had one or two shots of the vaccine. So the vast majority of people are on board. Uh, it's a very small minority that isn't so. We, you know, if if any of these people show up in person, we will have to deal with it, and that's that's part of the the, the pains of getting back to uh, normal. Uh, and uh, you know, we're prepared to take that on. Um, and um, it's not, you know, it may not be pleasant, but uh, you know, we're on the road to recovery and. You know, there'll be there'll be some bumps, but we'll eventually get there and we'll just have to overcome all the obstacles. Let's take a call from Bill in Bracebridge. Hello, Bill. Hi, Libby. I really this absolutely confounds me. I'm going to go into a restaurant or to a McDonald's or to a Tim Hortons to get a coffee and I'm going to have to show all this ID. I'm just not going to do it. It's been 18 months or 24 months, whatever it's been. And I've done without restaurants. I've done without going to bars or going to, to these social events that we used to go to. And, you know, I pretty much get my stuff at the Costco or the supermarket. And, and we, we cook everything at home. We're, we're doing quite well. I really don't, I'm, I'm not. I'm happy the way I am. I don't need to go back to this. Okay. Well, um, I hear you. Thanks for your call, Bill. Thanks. Just to jump in there, Libby, if I could, he makes a very good point. I think for a lot of um, the current rules anyway are a lot of businesses where there's just a pickup required. And I I don't know how he engages with those particular shops that uh, or services that he mentioned, but uh, no ID will be required for simple pickups. And I know there's also a lot of uh, confusion around if you're on the outdoor patio, unvaccinated in a restaurant, and you needed to use the the facilities. That's that's okay. You You can you can do that as well. So, um, I I I, but the the underlying point which I find so fascinating from that caller is um, the the confusion. Right, and and Mm -hmm. this is really uh, at the heart of the matter. Certainly uh, from from business's point of view is, you know, it would be good um, and I think advised if we were able to more simply articulate uh, what exactly is required and when. Um, and we were able to uh, use the technology that is far, far more easy. So if a gentleman like your caller doesn't want to go to restaurants and all those things, that's fine. He, he wouldn't have to download the app. But when you download it, it is immensely easy um, and is actually very, you know, it's more easy than uh, some of the technology that you have to use to get into restaurants currently. So there, there are solutions out there. Um, and I think that's where we need to steer the conversation, perhaps not today, but as, as we move forward with this, if we need tools, let's get them in place so we don't have to add uh, additional burdens or confusion. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the previous caller, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he objects to having to show that proof, uh, though, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he is vaccinated. Uh, so so he will avoid those places as a matter of principle. Uh, but yeah, um, none of this is simple. None of this is simple. Let's. And, and the, if I may jump in, the other thing about this, right, is it's temporary. It, it's, it's, it's there to protect us right now. It will, it will disappear. 
But unless we take this step now, it won't disappear. It'll just drag on and take much, much longer. Uh, and and it's, it, there are practical considerations. Yes, uh, it's only if you're going to spend a couple of hours indoors in a space with many other strangers that you need to be fully vaccinated. If you're going in just to pick something up or just to spend a, a couple of minutes, you don't have to show any any vaccine passports or any ID. But if you're going to spend two hours or three hours Unmasked. in indoor space with many other people, it's safer for everybody if they're vaccinated. Okay, let's take a call from Pat. Hi, Pat. Good afternoon. Um, as somebody who's been a subscriber to the Royal Alex since the mid-70s, I totally agree with John. He's doing absolutely the right thing. And, and my only other comment with regard to phoning 911, if they're going to do that, they've got to do that in the first weeks when this becomes an issue. And you may have to put a few people into the, into the cell for a few hours. But once that message gets out, people aren't going to take the risk. It's not worth it to, you know, to make a fuss about this if there is enforcement. So I think we may have to have enforcement in the early days, but it's absolutely the right thing that the government's doing. Okay. Thanks for that, Pat. And uh, I've got to take another break. Practically forgot about it. We will be back with more on vaccine passports and implementing them. And we'll take more of your calls and your comments about how you feel about it before we take the break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, if you were paying attention to our commercial break, we had one theater commercial. That's a place where the vaccine passport will be required. And then we had a retailer where it will not be required. Uh, so, Lindsay, is is part of the confusion, uh, you know, are people asking, and I've heard them ask, why is the requirement here and not there? There is absolutely, um, uh, you know, while this, as I said right at the beginning, you know, this this is a good step. Um, there is no silver bullet in this. Um, we all, if if we can and are able, should get vaccinated because uh, it helps uh, our communities and our neighbors and our families. Um, but it is a tool, uh, the vaccination passport. Uh, and when the tool is used somewhat arbitrarily or inconsistently, in, inconsistently, apologies. Um, it, it, what I'm concerned about um, taking uh, my Toronto Board of Trade hat off for a minute and putting on my communications and issues management hat is um, this level of inconsistency and confusion is what causes uh, one of two things. Either folks will not participate or choose not to participate, which is not good for our economy or, or one another. Um, or it creates anger uh, and, and frustration, uh, and, and that's where you get throwback. Uh, so consistency wherever we can have it is net positive for, for all of us, um, uh, notably for health, but secondarily uh, for the economy. And Derek, um, how are you feeling about what's going to happen when the weather turns and you don't have the patio available and, and there's all of this? Thank you for bringing that up because I was going to bring that up because that is a huge concern for us. Um, right now, everything is great because, you know, we are operating probably 90% of our dining business outdoors. And that is going to change rapidly over the next four weeks or so. Um, so this is going to allow us, and this has not been mentioned, that this whole uh, passport process is to save jobs and save businesses we cannot afford to be shut down again that will be that will be the nail the final nail in a lot of businesses coffin so um i think the fact that 80 percent of the population is 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 behind businesses to make this happen and avoid going backwards um we're going to be able to shift from you know this warm beautiful summer weather we've had into indoor dining again and I'll, I'll create a, a safe 
uh, environment for people to come and enjoy uh, some of the privileges of being able to go eat in a restaurant. And and in terms of, uh, you know, I, I remember we've had a previous conversation where even in terms of the distancing, it was very difficult for you. So with the vaccine passport, does that make it more feasible? Well, that's that's going to also come down from the government um, moving into uh, from I, I think we're in level three right now. So level four would, you know, release some more of those restrictions. Um that's going to be that's going to be that's going to come down from the government, and hopefully, um, when that does, that will certainly help us, you know, move to a higher capacity in the restaurant. Okay, I'm going to take a quick call from George. I think we can quickly answer your questions. Hello, George. Hi, how you doing, Libby? How are you? Fine. How are you? Very good, dear. This is just a quick question. Uh, my, both my wife and I are in our 80s, and we don't have the app and stuff like that for to show that we've already had our double dose. So what do we do if we want to go into any of these places where you need it? Your paper copy is fine. Oh, the copy that I that yep. we received? Yep. Your paper oh. copy is fine. That is perfect. And uh, <clears throat> thanks for your call, George. Enjoy your outing. Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so again, another, you know, I've, I've heard that said by government officials many times, but, you know, it's, it's all complicated and confusing. Anyway, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to go around our panel, give you 20 seconds each, starting with Lindsay Broadhead. Um, first and foremost, get vaccinated if you can. Uh, second of all, let's have conversations uh, and, and not battles with one another about this issue. Uh, it's, it's important that we listen to one another about this. Uh, and third, let's find a way to support the businesses who have uh, kept us going and sustained throughout this pandemic and ensure they stay open. John Karastamanis? Uh, just we, as we come back, as, as we start socializing again, we have to understand that the vaccine passport is just a temporary tool until we get to a better spot where it won't be necessary. So it's going to be confusing and it's going to be a bit awkward, but, you know, we have to do it and do the best of it to get to the other side. So don't give up. And Derek Vallo. I think the number one thing is, is for people to have patience. Um, you know, people people are happy to be out and starting to do some of the things they enjoy to do. And this is just going to be another level of, of getting to do more of what we love to do. And we're going to have to ask people to be patient as we embrace these new systems. Okay, that sounds like very good advice for all of us. And thank you so much, John Karastamatis, Derek Vallow, and Lindsay Broadhead. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Okay. And uh, that is all the time we have for today. Again, if we didn't have time to take your call, Free For All Friday is coming up. And that's it for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.